AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. There is a new study that puts dollar and cent estimates on how much ethanol saves consumers. We'll get the details. And we will talk with a team that has made it their mission to help consumers and farmers better understand some of the messaging that happens in the food and farming business. Live from ongoing market pressurization via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, we'll begin with a conversation with Jeff Cooper from the Renewable Fuels Association. Then it's Natalie Kovarik and Tara Vanderdusen right after the news. Karen Bonert from Farm Journal's Milk. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. Now, here's the host of AgriTalk, Chip Laurie. All right, Davis, thank you hey, so buddy. much. Yeah, the pressurization of the yeah. grain markets is clearly, clearly <laughs> underway. You know, and nope. it's... It's kind of uh, just taking its time moving around the markets, too. You know, it's been wheat the past couple of sessions. Uh, corn has busted through layers of support. And today, the soy complex is the focus of the sellers. We've got uh, soybean prices 25 to call it 30 cents lower here this morning. And soybean meal is in on the price decline. Soybean oil is trading lower, even though we've got the uh, the crude oil market trading to the upside. So, yeah, it's it's one of those days for the soy complex, man. It's taking its turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. March, March is ever closer. There's yes. that. That's exciting, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. I was just uh, I was thinking just a little bit ago that uh, come this time tomorrow we'll be calling February last month, and maybe. <laughs> Maybe it's just because I've been anticipating the end of February. And yesterday, I know I said, oh, we're there. You know, oh, that wasn't yeah. so bad. I don't know. It, now it kind of feels like it's dragging on. Like, can we just get on with it? <laughs> just just one get more on with day it? and all of a sudden yes. it's dragging on? Yes. It's, it's just it's one February day too much. February is welcome. It has by one day. <laughs> day and a half, maybe. Well, you know, and the thing is, the thing is, when that happens, uh-huh. Everybody knows it, like pretty yes. much at the same time. Yep. If you overstay your welcome, all of a sudden yeah. you kind of like, oh gosh, I'm sorry, I should have left an hour ago. Yes, goodness, <laughs> is that the time? Got to go. <laughs> February should have left a day ago. Yeah, wish I could okay. stay. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, buddy, let's get to the news. What do you got? Well, Chip, U.S. stocks rose more than six percent in January and are on track to lose more than one percent in February. That combination of a strong start followed by a reversal in February has not happened since 1989, according to Dow Jones market data. Meanwhile, natural gas was the upside focus on Monday as futures rallied 6.99% on the session to settle at a new high for February. Yeah, it's still pretty cheap, though, on the natty gas, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not bad at all. Could be. It's been much worse. Uh, yeah. Russia is turning to China's yuan in an alternative to the U.S. dollar chip. The Chinese currency's rise inside Russia deepens ties between the two countries that have long rivaled each other for global influence, 
but have grown closer amid shared discontent with the West. It also serves China's long-standing but mostly frustrated campaign to make the yuan a more prominent feature of global finance and commerce. Boy, I tell you what, if you want to back yourself in a corner, go ahead and start trading in, in Chinese currency. Mm-hmm. Because who else is going to trade with you? Nobody wants, no, nobody's going to take that risk. It, it, it just is uh, another way that Russia is isolating itself. Well, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen visited Ukraine Monday to discuss economic support in her visit to Kiev. Yellen met with top Ukrainian officials and announced $1.25 billion in economic and budget assistance to the country. Let's just pour some more money on Ukraine. What do you say? Well, Shall we? Well, that seems to be the, uh, the, the, the standard operating procedure to this point, Davis. You're going to love this one. A bill in the Oregon legislature would add electric farm tractors. Yes, electric farm tractors to the list of vehicles eligible for rebates. State Representative Courtney Neron says an incentive would start the process. If we do not incentivize the transition to electric agricultural vehicles, then we are also missing an an important opportunity to reduce emissions in the agricultural sector, which also plays a significant role in driving climate change. Chip, critics worry adding tractors to the EV rebate program would affect the amount of money available to other drivers. Yep, that'll fix it. That'll fix all the problems. If we can just get... Get farmers driving electric tractors. That that will fix it all. <laughs> Moving on. Nathan Simington, a commissioner for the Federal Communications Commission, spoke out on the continued importance of AM radio to public safety. He says the issue of continuing to include AM radios in electric vehicles deserves urgent attention, saying, quote, while some things have changed, not enough has changed to eliminate the need for radio. Preach, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Did they say anything about uh, informing, education, Mm -hmm. entertainment? Mm -hmm. Not only is it safety, a safety issue. I mean, there are other things to consider. These are the things that make life bearable and sweet. That's right. Yes. (laughs) Mexico's economy ministry said on Monday the United States disagreement with Mexico over its plan to limit imports of GMO corn is, quote, politically motivated, saying in a statement Mexico's position was compatible with the deal's rules. And if the U.S. wants to open a dispute panel, quote, get this, it would have to quantitatively show something that has not happened, that the corn decree affects its trade imports. That's quite the angle there. Yeah. Yeah, no question. And and I, I'd still like to hear more from the importers, the end users in mm-hmm. Mexico. I would like to, because we continue to be told that they want the product. Well, let's hear from them. I I would love to hear that. All right, buddy. Thanks. Uh, Let's bring in Karen Bonert. She is the editor at Farm Journal's Milk. Good morning, Karen. Hello, Chip. All right. Get us up to speed on milk production. What's going on? Well, yeah. The the latest USDA, the February milk production report came out, and it showed a 1.3% increase in milk production compared to last year. But really, so are cow numbers. They're also up. And Texas is leading the way in year-over-year growth in cow numbers. So the Lone Star State chip, it's pushed past Idaho, who's currently ranked number three for milk production. But while this might not be a shocker, one leading expert told me kind of what we all know, when business is good, dairies continue to expand. And of course, this explains that despite seeing consolidations in the industry, milk production has either remained steady or grown slightly. 
And for Texas, where the growth is really happening is in the panhandle, where the average size of dairy is roughly 4,000 lactating cows. And the thing is, Chip, these big dairies, they're going to likely continue to expand, right? Yep. But of course, yeah, but of course, in order to expand, they must have a place to take that milk. And currently, there are four milk plants under construction or that will break ground soon in Texas. And of course, don't forget Hillmar Cheese, who broke ground last fall in Western Kansas, in Western Kansas. All of this new cheese processing capacity will add more tailwind to the herd growth in Texas. Of course, you know, another state that I continue to watch and follow is South Dakota because they're also yeah. showing increase. But I've told you before, Chip, but for the for the herds that are shifting inland, the reason yep. that they're doing this is because of the water scarcity issue yep. that impacts feed availability, which is especially dire out west. Ultimately, you're not going to build or grow your dairy unless you know you have the feed for these cows and the home for the milk. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Karen, good perspective. Get more of that perspective at www.dairyherd.com. That's Karen Bonert, editor of Farm Journal's Milk. Up next, Jeff Cooper from the RFA here on Agritalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. When news breaks, the newsmakers talk about it on AgriTalk with Chip Flory. All right, welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Glad that you are with us this morning. Davis Michelson is here as well. I am. And joining us right now, let's get right to him because we got to end the conversation in time to get Jeff back on stage. But Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, joins us. Jeff, welcome, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Chip. Yep, glad that you are here, and you are live from Orlando and RFA's National Ethanol Conference. Uh, it's a crazy right. time, so thank you so much for making uh, making some time for us. Uh, the Absolutely. results of a study, it, this, uh, it was a study that was commissioned by RFA, but you released oh. it yesterday afternoon. These, This is impressive. Uh, economists at the University of California, Berkeley, Concluded ethanol has cut the price of gas at the pump. What are the details? Yeah, Chip, the the study really does have some eye-opening results, and it's getting a lot of attention already just here in the last 24 hours. Uh, Those economists found that by adding ethanol to our gasoline over the last three years, uh, consumers are paying 77 cents per gallon less 
for their fuel than they would otherwise. If, if we yeah. didn't have that volume of ethanol being added to our fuel supply, uh, they'd be paying as much as 77 cents per gallon more for their gasoline. You know, across the U.S., that's about $95 billion worth of savings uh, for American drivers, and that works out to about $750 per household. So these are very real savings, yeah. uh, courtesy of, of ethanol. And it's again, it's a, it's an important study that we we hope uh, gets the attention that it deserves. Yeah, I, I I certainly hope it does as well. And and that seventy-seven cents a gallon, seven hundred and fifty bucks a family. That's on average. Yeah. There are some regional differences and and sure. uh, some greater savings in the Midwest, right? Yeah, that, that's right. Yep. I mean, it, as you would expect, where there's a, a higher concentration of of uh, ethanol and lower costs for ethanol and, and more production and higher blends, you're going to get greater savings. But I think what's really interesting about this study, Chip, is you know a lot of people when they pull up to the pump. They'll see that E10 is 30 or 40 cents a gallon less than ethanol-free gasoline or E0, but that only tells part of the story here. Uh, when, when we add 15, 16 billion gallons of ethanol to the fuel supply, it's also reducing demand for about 500 million barrels a year of crude oil. And so what does that do? Well, it, it reduces the price of crude oil, and that effect is you know very often overlooked in these sorts of analyses you can't just look at the difference in the pump price, which is impressive, 30 or 40 cents, uh, but it goes far beyond that. And that's really what this study captures. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and uh, so if you've got a cheaper blend stock coming in because ethanol is adding to the overall supply, that that's almost yep. compounding the savings that are happening out there. It is. Yep. Uh, it is. Why UC Berkeley? What, why was UC Berkeley selected to, to do this study? Yeah, well, well, the the economist that led this this research is a guy by the name of David Zilberman, a professor at UC Berkeley. Uh, he's a he's a pretty well known, uh, renowned energy economist. He's been looking at the economic impacts of petroleum markets and and clean energy uh, for for many years for de for decades. Um, and so he's a well known guy, and and you know we wanted to see if he'd be interested in in taking a look at this. Um, and he said, yeah, we'll, we'll look at it. But, I, you know, as, I think as they got further into this research and looked at different models and ways of estimating ethanol's impact, uh, they were surprised themselves by just the enormous impact that adding more ethanol has on pump prices for consumers. Uh, you know, so, so Professor Zilberman led the, the project, but there were also a number of co-authors on there. And, and I would note that a lot of them are from the Czech Republic. And okay. the reason that's interesting to me is, hey, those folks are, you know, six or seven hundred miles away from what's happening in Ukraine right now. Right. Um, and certainly everybody understands what just the energy crisis that's happening in Eastern Europe. And I think there's a lot of interest worldwide and especially in that region today to look at ways of enhancing energy security and lowering costs for consumers and diversifying energy supplies as well. Interesting. OK, so. um <laughs> what what do you hope that this study will change? It, it, and the reason that I ask that is is it would be yeah. great if refiners stop claiming that ethanol raises the price of fuel at the pump. But is that hoping for too much? Well, just last week, Chip, and I'm sure you saw it. Bloomberg published an article that said, um, you know, if these eight governors in the Midwest that are pursuing year-round E15, if they're successful, that's going to cause gas prices to go up by eight or twelve cents a gallon. That's nonsense. And, and that was based on a petroleum industry funded study. 
Um, and, and so, yeah, we're going to continue to fight that misinformation that's been out there since the beginning of the ethanol industry. But again, I think when you look at the type of analysis that these guys did, and there's lots of research out there on this, um, it is beyond a doubt that uh, ethanol is saving consumers money. And again, you see evidence of that every time you pull up to the pump, uh, whether that's in Iowa or whether that's in, you know, Florida or California. Right, right. Okay. So the conclusion of this study is that ethanol saves consumers money. We, I get that. Yep. Normally, when you are at NEC, you're talking about ethanol's overall contribution to the national economy. Have you got an update on that? We, we do, and we just released that study this morning, and, and we do okay. an, an analysis annually on the ethanol industry's economic impacts. And what we found for, for 2022 was that the, the industry's contribution to gross domestic product was about $57 billion, and that the industry supported more than 420,000 jobs across all sectors of the economy. Okay. Um, and, and those are some of the highest numbers, some of the greatest economic impacts that we've ever seen from this industry. And obviously part of that is because the prices we were getting for ethanol and distillers grains and corn oil and everything else okay. were higher last year. The volumes were a bit lower than they were pre-COVID, but uh, the economic activity generated by the industry uh, was certainly back to pre-COVID levels or above that even. Gotcha. Gotcha. Good deal. Good deal. I'm going to switch gears on you here real quick. Office of Management and Budget has completed its review on EPA's plan to allow that waiver on the reed vapor pressure that will allow year-around sales of E15. We just need EPA to make the announcement uh, now, right? Uh, any insight on when that might happen? That's right. Well, we, uh, I, I would say this, Chip. Uh, we have an official, a senior official from EPA speaking at our conference tomorrow morning okay. um, around 9 o'clock. So, okay. so keep your eye on that date and time. Uh, and then we have Governor Reynolds, who led the effort uh, amongst those governors, uh, speaking on Thursday morning at our at our conference. And in fact, she's receiving our annual industry award for her efforts to lead this very creative right. solution to year round E15. So we're going to hear something, I think, within the next 24 hours on what direction this is all headed with EPA. Outstanding. That is great to hear. What else is happening down there at, at the uh, National Ethanol Conference? Well, right now, Chip, it's it's about eighty one degrees and it's it's sunny outside, and we got people playing golf and and lounging by the pool. But the real uh, meat and potatoes of the conference starts this afternoon and this evening, and then tomorrow and, and Thursday, uh, we've got a whole uh, list of of speakers and topics. We're going to be talking about sustainable aviation fuel. We're going to be talking about carbon capture. Uh, we're going to be talking about green ethylene. Um, new markets, you know, E15, E85, exports, uh, anything you could possibly think of that has to do with the ethanol industry, we're going to be covering it here in the next two days. All right. Green ethylene. That that one yes, uh, might be new to a lot of people. Give us a, a, a quick rundown on that. Well, ethylene is one of the uh, most prevalent chemicals used in everything from plastics to, to cleaners and and all kinds of products, just about yep. anything you, you pick up uh, started with, with ethylene. Of course, all of that today comes from petroleum and, and gas. Um, there is a process to, to make ethylene from ethanol. Basically, yep. you're dehydrating ethanol, taking the oxygen and, and you know water content out of ethanol 
and it becomes ethylene. And, and then it, from there, it can go into plastics, it can go into a host of products, or that's the first step in the process to make sustainable aviation fuel as well. Okay. So um, getting ethanol to, to ethylene is uh, could open uh, some, some new doors for the industry and, and really open wide a brand new market for our products. Fantastic. Good stuff, Jeff. I know you've got to go. Have a great time down there. Thank you. And we'll be watching what's happening down there. Thanks, buddy. All right. Thank you, Chip. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. You bet. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuel Association. So there you go, Davis. He didn't really say that the announcement on year-round availability of E15 is going to be made tomorrow morning down in Orlando at his conference He didn't really say it, but he kind of said it, didn't he? (laughs) He sort of did and sort of didn't. Um, It's forthcoming. This we know. It's forthcoming. They will announce something at some point. Yeah, That's right. And uh, I think Governor Reynolds uh, from Iowa, Governor of Iowa, will be there to help them celebrate that as well. So it's going to be... If she's there, it seems like me. Yeah. Yeah, seems like it seems like it's, it, it might be going to happen. And yep. what that does is it brings some certainty to the retailers. They don't have to be mm-hmm. switching in and out of E15 availability, make it available, and off you go. Okay, Ugh. we are going to learn about Discover Ag next here on AgriTalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. Brian, it seems like the sellers have been focusing on different markets in the grains. Today, they made their stop in the soy complex. What's going on? Yeah, definitely, Chip. Uh, you know, the past couple days, it's been the wheat market that really got beat up and, and corn uh, to a little bit lesser degree. But uh, like you mentioned, uh, soybeans, soy meal, uh, really taking it uh, on the chin this morning. Uh, sharp losses, more than 20 cents in the soybean market, uh, 10 plus dollars lower in the front end of the meal market. And, and uh, uh, it's just kind of the soy complex's turn, so to yeah. speak, like you mentioned. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. Still, uh, we've got some pressure on corn, mostly spillover pressure, would you call it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you okay. know, we've broken down technically, and, and so we got technical base selling and then the spillover from the soybean market today. Yeah, wheat's trying to catch a bit. Trying. Uh, so we got a narrowly mixed tone there at, here at mid-morning, but uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, that market's severely oversold and, and just been really hammered the uh, the past several days. All right, take us over to the livestock trade. What's happening? 
Well, a little bit better price action there, uh, especially in the cattle market. Uh, slightly firmer tone in, in live cattle. Uh, waiting on cash cattle trade to develop, that's not likely to happen until much later in the week. And uh, But yet, uh, we expect that it, it will be at firmer prices again. And so that underlying fundamental support, uh, not only from the cash, but rising box beef prices, uh, is giving us a little bit of price support here. Uh, the weakness in the corn market is supporting feeder cattle at mid-morning. Yep. And then uh, somewhat of a mix tone april hogs are a little bit firmer but uh, the deferred contracts are mildly weaker here at mid-morning yeah still waiting for uh the cash market to catch up there thanks brian that's pro farmer editor brian grady on markets now opinions expressed on agritalk do not necessarily reflect the views of farm journal broadcasting affiliate stations or sponsors i don't know what you're thinking so call us at 855-4-TALK-AG <laughs> and tell us what's on your mind. <laughs> what a perfect lead into this segment. Wow. <laughs> because the reason I'm laughing is because there's no question. When you listen to their podcast, you, there is no question that you know what Natalie and Tara are thinking when when you get to the end of it, uh, which, which obviously we really appreciate here. Natalie Kovarik and Tara Vanderdusen. Uh, are the hosts of the Discover Ag podcast. Uh, Tara is a fifth-generation dairy farmer and environmental scientist in New Mexico. Natalie is a pharmacist and a rancher in central Nebraska. Uh, They've built a huge following, and we've got them right here on AgriTalk right now. Natalie and Tara, welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. Glad Yeah, thanks for having us on. You bet. Glad that you guys are here. Uh, I uh, appreciate it, and I appreciate your work more and more now. So I, I got I to know, though, Tara, what's the inspiration? What did you see happening in agriculture that made you think you could be a positive influence on the industry? I just was seeing a ton of misinformation. I feel like for lack of a better word, that was kind of what I was seeing out there. And I was working on dairies as an environmental consultant. And I kind of just wanted to show people what was really going on. You know, there's a lot of talk about cattle and climate. And I just kind of wanted to be like a voice of reason showing what everyday agriculture is actually like. Okay, cool. Now that, that intrigues me some there. What did you learn as being an environmental consultant at the dairies? That dairy farmers are doing a lot more than people realize to be environmentally friendly. And if you ask a dairy farmer, you know, about their quote unquote environmental practices, they probably wouldn't be able to like pinpoint exactly what they're doing. But it's tons of little tiny management decisions every single day that they're making that actually make them more sustainable. And I just felt like people should know about those things that that these farmers are doing. That's very cool. Very cool. Tara, what about you? What's the inspiration? What did you see happening? Or Natalie, excuse me. No worries. Um, Kind of the same thing. I think anyone in agriculture knows that sometimes we can kind of find ourselves in a little bit of bubble. You know, we grow up in agriculture, our friends are in agriculture, our family in agriculture. And I think for a long time, I spent my life um, thinking that everyone thought the way that, you know, my friend's family and the agriculture community did. And I got online and just was open to a brand new narrative of whether people thought a certain thing or maybe had questions about certain things. And I just felt really called, you know, the more and more I saw certain narratives, the more and more I felt called to kind of share what, you know, my perspective as a female rancher, a, a ranch wife, ranch mom and um, rancher herself. And and so kind of like Tara, I just started, I guess, one narrative at a time and it kind of grew over, grew over, uh, you know, through that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, 
Natalie, a pharmacist. Tell us about that. How does that come into play as 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 you on your educational efforts? Yeah, you know, I think most uh, people would assume that there isn't much uh, overlap between my pharmacy work and, you know, advocating online. Um, but when I actually advocate for agriculture, I do kind of um, meld a little bit of the emotional, you know, like um, the storytelling, you know, the, yeah. what we're doing every day on the ranch, how we care for animals, animal husbandry, you know, that emotional pain point. But I also bring a lot of science into it. And I actually credit, um, you know, the my ability to like kind of weed through information and stuff that's out there, you know, papers and white, like all the different sources um, and to bring those facts to the conversation, too, because I think there's consumers who want the emotional part. Um, but there's also consumers and people that really connect with the facts and the science behind um, numbers. And so I actually credit a lot of my science background to being able to do that well in my advocacy work. Yeah, well, and it makes you more credible when you talk with at least some consumers uh, when you talk about animal welfare, right? Yeah, I think it's a balance. I think some people yeah. are off put by numbers and I think some people want them. And so you just kind of got to read your audience and then be able to like, you know, bring which one you think they need more. Gotcha. Gotcha. Tara, uh, with with so many consumers out there being, uh, I don't know exactly how you'd even say it, climate aware or client uh, climate sensitive, your experience as a an education as a climate scientists has got to bring you some credibility to those consumers as well, right? Absolutely. I think that actually has been um, one of the reasons I was like, have been able to grow my platform as much as I have and be able to be considered like a trusted source for this information. I mean, similar to Natalie, there's always the emotional side of the storytelling, but bringing that science and then being able to back it up with an actual degree. Uh, I know I've been in a few heated debates with activists in the past few years. And it's like, this is, you can say that I'm just a farmer or that I don't know, but like, it's literally my degree. It's what I studied. And, and so I feel like it definitely just gives me that credibility in those conversations. And I think it gives me a being that I studied it in college, I saw things from that perspective, yeah. from that environmental lens. And so I also think it just gives me a better uh, opportunity to kind of share like both sides of the conversation, like understand both sides and try to be that liaison between the climate and the farmers. So how does how does being an environmental scientist play with the farmers that you talk with? <laughs> yeah, so um, I obviously have had lots of clients over the years, and I feel like it's finding that balance. Uh, you know, you never want to go in and say like, okay, like guns blazing, let's make all these changes on the environmental <laughs> yeah. side of things. Um, and so my approach has always just been like, what actually makes sense? What's going to help your bottom line? Sustainability is you know, a lot of people thinking about it is environmental, but it has to be also financially viable and it needs to be socially acceptable. So some things that are going to work in some areas and some regions just don't make sense in other regions. Um, and what makes sense for some farmers bottom line doesn't make sense for other farmers bottom line. And so right. anytime I have a conversation with farmers, I try to keep all three in mind um, and approach it from that angle. Excellent. Excellent. Natalie, uh, what issues get you fired up the most for the Discover Ag podcast? Oh, goodness. Uh, that's a fun space over there. Tara and I are covering new topics every single week. So I feel like yeah. given the week, I might have a new soapbox or a new platform that I'm a yeah, little bit fired absolutely. up about. I know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know if there's anything in the recent news that I felt really, um, I guess, like heated about. I've been trying to, um, you know, Tara and I, one thing we do feel really strongly about is that like our opinion is not the only opinion. And okay. so 
you know, I've been trying to, um, I think, look at a lot of the different topics, things going on in the ag and food space right now with different viewpoints and mindsets in mind, instead of just kind of, you know, bringing my own personal voice to it, even though that's heavily what, you know, Tara and I do. But I think the more and more you get into the nuance of conversations and things that are going on in the ag space, you really do um, have a better feel for it's just not a one size fits all with a lot of the different topics. And so, um, but it's pretty fun, you know, to get into some of these conversations and things that are going on. Yep. Okay. Natalie, you, you mentioned something about, you know, you got to read the room and, and react to what your listeners are, are, uh, responding to what, what are you looking for from your listeners to know that you're reaching them, that to know that you're, that you are, are making the difference that you want to make. Honestly, I think just uh, questions is always a really good start. I think that sometimes when you're in the advocating space, you get um, or forget or can get caught up kind of on either, you know, the the noisy, I guess, kind of um, crowds on each side. So the the loud voice that's in, you know, support of you and then the loud voice that's, you know, against you. And it's really easy to fall both those camps and spend time there. Um, but I think the most important camp is the the kind of the silent movable middle is what I call them. They're really the people mm. that are just kind of quietly sitting back. They're observing, they're listening, they're interested in what, you know, the people in the ag community have to say, they're interested in knowing more about their food. Um, but maybe they don't feel like comfortable talking about it, or maybe they feel silly asking questions. And so I think that's a really large percentage and more than we give credit to of people that are like kind of tuning in. And so anytime we get just general questions, I always consider it a win because I feel like we connected with someone. They're actually talking, you know, to the the main source. They're talking to a dairy farmer. They're talking to a rancher. They're getting their questions answered by the right people. So I always love when we see questions come in, especially ones I can tell are very consumer um, or very new to the ag space. It really um, I don't know. I'm pretty proud when we get those really basic, you know, beginning questions. Excellent. Excellent. I know exactly what you're talking about when it comes to. uh, marketing issues when when uh, somebody will give me a call or drop me a note and say, "Listen, I, I, this is this is a question that I that I should have asked a, a decade ago, but I'm finally working up the guts to do it. Tell me how a hedge works. You know, it's just yeah. that basic question where you know that they they're going to trust your take on it and and have come to you to to understand something like that, uh, Tara." Your audience, your tar- your target audience, when you do a podcast and, and you sit down with Natalie, who do you see? Who are you talking to? Yeah, that's such a great question. Natalie and I focus on that a lot when we were planning out our podcast and, and weekly. I feel like we see our peers, you know, uh, there's not a ton of, you know, women in ag on podcasts talking the news. Um, and so trying to reach our peers of first women in ag, there's obviously going to be women in ag who are interested in these topics, but we are trying to pick topics that we could reach beyond ag as well. Uh, there's just yeah. so many p- people that are food conscious right now and are interested in where their food's coming from. And, uh, a lot of like millennial women that are doing the grocery shopping and just have questions. And so I think it's that meld of those two audiences that we try to focus on. Um, but ultimately, I mean, they're, they are our peers and um, that's who we're trying to reach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when, when you talk with, with farmers, what's their reaction to the two of you, Natalie? 
Um, I think it's usually, I mean, I've always felt really supported by our ad community. Um, and so I think generally, yeah, I think generally it's, um, you know, what we're doing there, you know, in support of it, they love to see it. Um, I do, as Tara mentioned, we are, you know, younger females in the space. And so I think we do stand out a little bit more and, you know, to that, sometimes it's a pro and sometimes it's a con. Um, but you know, we're, we're pretty proud to bring, you know, our, again, that kind of millennial female perspective, um, to connect, you know, to people that are maybe in a more rural setting, um, or I mean, urban setting, but also to people in the industry to kind of, um, I guess just bring a different perspective to to the ag industry. Good grief. That time went really fast. Yeah, how do we find how do we find Discover Ag? You can find us on anywhere you listen to your podcast, Discover Ag, or you can find us on social channels at Discover Ag on Instagram, Facebook, all those places. Excellent. Natalie, Tara, thank you so much. We certainly appreciate all your efforts out there. Good stuff. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Thank you. All right. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Our name says it all. Agritalk. What more do you need to know? Welcome back to Agritalk, everyone. Davis Michelson here. Chip Flory joins as well. Good show today. Um, So far. So far, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) We can only screw it up from here. Let's go. Well, (laughs) and it sort of seems like uh, it was a bit of a theme emerging jeff cooper from the renewable fuels association huh you know ethanol can actually lower the price of gasoline then we've got natalie and tara just just sort of trying to educate you know they mentioned activists just i'm sure they would they would educate all comers you know who you want you want to know more that we're we're here for that um you know it's these are these are efforts efforts that are extremely important to point out and to uh, to encourage. Agreed. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, one of the, you know how it makes me crazy when there's misinformation that's delivered mm-hmm. by the general media or or interest groups out there. It just it it blows me away. It that uh, and and here's the thing. Here's the thing. You've got to be and we've talked about this, Davis. You've got to be able to connect the dots yourself. Mm-hmm. If you can't connect the dots into how adding 15 billion gallons to a fuel supply actually helps to hold down the price of crude oil, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe you should, uh, maybe you should ask. Well, okay, then how much is it lowering the price at the pump? Mm-hmm. You know, 
you got to be able to connect the dots. And, and hopefully, hopefully that's what we help you do here at AgriTalk as well. Well, because here's the thing. Um, nobody wants the planet to explode, you know? No. Of course not. Um, and so you, I think a lot of people start with those ideals, which are, you know, admirable, obviously. Um, yeah. But then they sort of get fed by groups who are pushing for a certain agenda one way or the other and they maybe bend the rules of reasoning they maybe sort of highlight some facts and suppress others and you know this person who began you know in a well-meaning state of mind has now been fed just sort of pasteurized information and is now confused yes and is now confused and you can talk to them all day, but they've chosen their platform, and that's what it is. Well, right. the way to combat that is with actual factual information. And right. all three of our guests uh, provided means to do that today. Well, yeah, and and the the level of credibility that comes along with uh, th- those that are delivering the information or the perspective or helping to connect dots Mm-hmm. I think is so critical. That's why I brought up and and focused uh, for a while on the fact that Tara is an environmental uh, scientist. Right. Uh, Natalie is a pharmacist. Understands how drugs work mm-hmm. and the role that they play in caring for human health and the role that they play in caring for animal health. So yeah, it's it's an interesting team that they've got. Mm-hmm. at uh discover ag yeah well and it's it is good to talk to an environmental scientist who studied that in college who didn't come out of the education system as just some kind of activist <laughs> hippie nut job you know right. they're out there they're out there <laughs> that is exactly right <laughs> and i will admit I was listening for hints of that <laughs> activist nut job yeah. in the conversation with Tara, and yep. it's it's also logical. It, yep. it, it's such a logical approach to how how she views mm-hmm. the environmental world that it it's compelling. It's compelling. You've got to pay attention. Indeed. Uh, speaking of hippie nut jobs, uh, yeah. <laughs> let's let's go back to the story from Oregon. Uh, okay. Have you, have you secretly been holding out? for an electric skid steer. Has that been your, your whole thing? You're trying to save the planet uh, with the, an electric skid steer? You know, that is something that hasn't even <laughs> crossed my mind. Not even crossed my mind. But as you were doing that story, yeah, uh, I thought about California and, and putting in, in California, they either will ban or have banned. Yeah. Uh, garden. Yep. Uh, tractors, lawnmowers, mm-hmm. uh, chainsaws, weed eaters. They, they're, they're getting rid of all the two-cycle and, uh, well, and four-stroke. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, all of, <laughs> I mean, pretty soon we're going to be paddling canoes only. Yeah. And yeah. It, it just uh, it, it blows me away what... Uh, what some people believe the answer is. Well, it kind of blows me away what some people believe the problem is. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. yes. the 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 answers that they've got or the solutions that they've got, again, 
sometimes it's a little difficult to connect dots. Anyway. Um, a couple stories we didn't quite get to on uh, bird and animal health. USDA's oh, yeah. Animal Plant Health Inspection Service confirmed highly pathogenic avian influenza in a commercial turkey meat bird flock in Wayne County, Illinois. 18,000 birds there. Uh, this is interesting because it's the first case of HPAI in a commercial operation in Illinois. There have been other cases um, in yeah. 2022, but those were all either non-poultry or backyard flocks. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, Jim Wiesmeyer and I talked about this a little bit yesterday morning. Jim Wiesmeyer, mm-hmm. pro policy analyst. Um, we talked about it. It sounds like the death of a young girl in... Mm. Cambodia has been linked to oh gosh. avian influenza. Hmm. Uh, so that is ramping up the importance of the conversation. And now, I, you know, when, when you look at how many cases we've, you know, just in the last 30 days or so, there's been a, 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 a growing number of cases in more states. It's like... Uh, True in 14 different states now so thursday thursday morning we're going to have a conversation with one of the pioneers in 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 dealing with bird flu bill northy from iowa former usda undersecretary is going to be on with us and we're going to talk about uh, uh what's going on there so yeah good stuff all right thank you so much for listening this morning come back this afternoon chris swift from swift trading company We'll be here and we'll be talking about what's going on in the cattle market tomorrow morning. Brian Keel from Farmers for Free Trade.